Hello. This is the recording of the 10th edition of my semi-regular Twitter space sessions. This one was recorded back in August, as you can probably tell from the conversation at the start about the weather. We had a chat, a longer chat than usual, about manners and customs at home and across the world, a topic V originally suggested because of my preference for being barefoot much of the time. In general, though, you can probably tell that while I like to think that I do the right thing most of the time, even I balk at some of the minutiae of customs and might be seen as a bad tourist. Who knew? Usual disclaimer, be aware this conversation took place over the phone and is then recorded directly from playback on Twitter through my sounds editing software Audacity. One of the downsides of Twitter spaces is that you can't record them on a computer. You can only use the app on the phone. This means I can't use my headphones, etc. And you get to hear every time I click the mouse. We're looking into alternative ways of doing these recordings. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, a podcast looking at unfamiliar places across the world and aspects of travelling you may never have thought of. I'm your host, the Barefoot Backpacker, a middle-aged Denby with a passion for offbeat travel, history, culture, and the whys behind travel itself. So join with me as we venture Beyond the Brochure. Hello. Um, How are you? I am alive. I I did a a, a walk today of about seven miles, just over seven miles, apparently, which is nice when it's 30 degrees. I was going to say, this is not the day to be doing that. I'm like one of Terry Pratchett's trolls, you see. My brain only really operates at low temperatures. So the little heat wave that we're having at the moment is is not helping me brain. No, Yes, but we sh- we shall struggle on. <laughs> we shall, we shall. Um, are we on half past yet? Do you want me to wait until we are exactly seven thirty to start? Um, we can whittle for a bit. I'm just trying to work out how to do something. Oh, what are you trying to work out how to do? Force quit. Um, WhatsApp. Ah. <laughs> Um, it shouldn't do anything because full stop. There we go. Yes. <laughs> there we go. So apparently I've now force stopped it. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't, it should register me as offline until I open it again. Um, it's, it shouldn't cause any issues today because the only person that calls me on it um, has already called me on it today. Okay, so hopefully we won't disappear halfway through this time. Indeed. Um, <laughs> right, we're on our half past now, so shall I launch into who we are and whatnot? Half past, half past, half past, half past, half I did half see you retweet that the other day. What? I did see you retweet that the other day, that being your friend just means you randomly bursting into song when I say a song lyric. <laughs> well, that wasn't even a song lyric. That was me doing the words half past to the tune of the Open University. Because oh, why would you not do that, obviously? <laughs> I, I, yeah, whatever. Anyway. <laughs> so, um, for anybody that is listening, if you're listening later than 
and you've got all of that that would be interesting for you um yeah but on my last spaces that i've i issued as a podcast episode you actually i not normally i would remove all of the the blurb at the start and the end but on this last one i just threw it in because why not <laughs> oh so it might sound a bit samey for people listening on your website later um for the, anybody that might be listening now um we do put the spaces back up on barefoot-backpacker.com a couple of weeks after we've done them. So if you have missed one and we reference it in conversation, you can always go back and find it. It'll be on there somewhere. It will. Um, it sounds a bit weird to like introduce myself now, um, but before we get too deep into chatterboxing, um, I'm Victoria Pearson, but you can call me V, and I'm here with RTW Barefoot, who is the Barefoot Backpacker. Um, Barefoot Backpacker is a travel and lifestyle blogger, don't shout at me, yes you are, um, <laughs> who goes off the beaten track and beyond the brochure with barely any luggage and rarely any shoes. I know that you don't like being called a lifestyle blogger. I'm sorry. I have, I have called myself a lifestyle blogger. <laughs> you I told have... me off last time, but I don't know how else to define you. Um, I, have, I have also described myself as a personality blogger. Uh, whatever that means. I think that just makes me sound like I'm a columnist and kind of mm -hmm. like, you know, um, I mean, yeah. what's, her face? what's her face? Katie Hopkins. She's not that much older than me. No, really? Uh, I will check. You know who else is? You know, Liz Truss. Liz Truss is, is like one month older than me. Well, uh, <laughs> Katie Hopkins. I used to find her attractive. Um, oh, Katie, don't admit that. <laughs> I did that bit out. Katie Hopkins, February nineteen seventy five. So she's she'd have been in my year at school, but she's like you know, a few months older than me. Well, I could make a very catty comment there about one's thoughts and actions reflecting on one's face, but I'm not that mean, so I won't. Because there's plenty I'm... to criticise those people about that isn't their appearance. So. I'll say that for when I get to the end of the list one day. <laughs> I probably look better than her in a dress. Definitely. <laughs> anyway, on our last spaces, a barefoot backpacker and I spoke about travelling local and being a tourist in your own hometown. And we're sort of sticking with the local theme this time a little bit because we're talking about local cultures, customs and local good manners as well. There's cultural and societal differences all around the world with lots of different unwritten rules and unspoken norms. And so there's a whole host of ways that I might mess up if I went traveling and embarrass myself. But I want to start with one um, that only really affects you, as far as I know, barefoot, um, which is the barefooting. Are there places yeah. where going barefoot is considered rude or offensive at all? Uh, yeah, probably. I mean, I, I don't know. I've never looked into it. Um, I, I, I mean... Uh, mm. There's plenty of places where the opposite's true. You know, there's plenty of places where not going barefoot is seen as rude or disrespectful. And there's mm. even places where shoes themselves are outright banned. Um, I'm thinking here of uh, places like in Southeast Asia. So there's a lot of temples and religious buildings, of course. And we'll come on to that, I think, later, mm. because uh, it's seen as uh, connecting you with the spiritual plane or submissive in the space of divine beings or everything is everybody's equal as far as the earth is concerned and things like that um, but it's not just temples so um i've had it in shops i've had it in businesses i recall a travel agent in philippines 
uh, me and Laura needed to buy a boat ticket for onward travel, but we had to take our sandals off before we went inside. Memory serves there was quite cold lino flooring, which was actually quite welcoming considering the heat. Uh, it's also quite common in museums, or at least some of the museums I went to in Southeast Asia that were concerning things like ancient kingdoms or the old royal palaces. And, and furthermore, there's also the whole, you see it often on Twitter and whatnot, the uh, debate about shoes on or shoes off in people's houses. And I know that certain countries and certain cultures have their own take on this, but a lot of cases it does seem to be very much down to the individual and you can't always assume. And so interestingly, I mean, I personally, I don't care. I don't care what people do in my house uh, in that respect. Uh, I had a workman come in once who noticed that I was barefoot and asked if this was a shoes off house. And I kind of shrugged at him and basically said, I don't care. Just do what you want. Um, That's this, kind of how I roll with it as well, to be honest. Yeah. Yes. Uh, I, it, it's, it's, it's one of those, I mean, I mentioned temples just then. And I guess one of the things with temples is that it's, it's the whole, you know, this is a sacred space. The outside must be left outside kind of thing. And mm, it, with it, it, that, though, well, how would you mark that as a mark of reverence if you were already barefoot? Like, yeah, it's not like you can if you're visiting a mosque, for example, you don't want to track in the dirt from outside. But at the no. same time, washing your feet before that would be like a closed religious practice. So you wouldn't want to offend somebody by doing that. So how would you sort of mark that transition or would you not mark that transition? Um, I mean, yeah, I'm always a bit wary of that because technically I should wash my feet anyway because, you know, being cultural. But equally, it's not it's it's a strict it's specifically more of an Islamic prayer ritual rather than just a visitor ritual. Um, I if we're being absolutely honest and I know this is a really bad thing to say, but <sighs> no one expects me to have been barefoot. So no one raises it as an issue. It's 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 kind of one of those things that probably exists as an angst more in my head rather than, you know, in the minds of temple authorities or anything or yeah. anyone like that. It's 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 kind of similar to and we'll come on to this as well later. It's kind of similar to left handed people in Islamic cultures um, and mm -hmm. the sort of the, the duality there of uh, doing the right thing versus doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. Um, it's all a bit all a bit. It gets awkward. And I think if you think about it too much, it gets a bit it gets a bit hard. But ideally, yes, I would do things like wash my feet before I went in or at least brush them. And to be fair, I do brush them. Um, but I'm sure it's I could more do a way of showing willing than. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, but, 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 but if we go back to the original question, because, mm -hmm. you know, I've waffled a bit about what. Um, where it's not considered rude or offensive. What I will say, um, I'm fully aware, absolutely fully aware that feet divide opinion. It is, for instance, the second most fetishized non-sexual body part after breasts. And there's a whole series of websites devoted to this. I know mm -hmm. this because I know a lot of people who follow me on my Facebook page who have. <laughs> yeah, interest. I've had a peek at your data and yikes. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I mean, to be fair, I would do an OnlyFans for it, but it's an awful lot of work. And, and <laughs> besides, besides which, my video director isn't actually keen on the idea. Equally, I have heard about that. <laughs> <laughs> equally, though, it is one of the most, um, it's about one of the most ugly body parts in people's minds. 
And so, for instance, my close friend, Laura, absolutely hates feet. She hates her own feet. And I've tried to be more mindful of that when I travel with her. And recently, one of my travel blogger friends posted a TikTok clip uh, on Instagram. Obviously, I'm over 30. I watch TikToks via Instagram. Um, <laughs> same way I do with Tumblr. Um, I posted a TikTok of someone in an aeroplane sat on a seat with their legs up in the air. So the only thing you could see behind the seat backs were their bird shins and their bare feet. And they were almost touching the um, the, 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 the roof thing where the light switches are. Mm. And, and, and you know, oh, that's pretty it's disgusting. Just, it's just rude to try and get into somebody else's personal space in that way as yeah, well. Isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially with something that you know isn't necessarily like, you know, Floors of airplanes are not clean. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, it's like, you know, your, your, your hands, your hands are pretty dirty most of the time from touching stuff. But that's why you, you like you wash them before you eat with them. And that's why there's a whole culture and ritual about cleansing before eating in uh, Asian and African culture, because you're going to be eating from communal bowls. So your hands are pretty well better be clean. We'll talk about that later. Uh, but, say, we'll come to that bit a bit yeah. later as but, well. <laughs> you don't eat with your feet. Um, but equally, you know, I wash my feet more often than I think most people would because you know they're going to get dirt more dirty than most people's would. But, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm not going to, you know, push buttons in lift with my toes. I'm not going to pick up things with my feet and hand them to people because that would be weird and slightly yeah. creepy. And, 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 and I am fully aware that that sort of thing is also popular only fans. But that in itself should tell you all you, you need to know. I mean, well, I haven't been aware of that, and I kind of wish that I still wasn't. So thank you for that. <laughs> Pleasure. Um, what I will say is that it's not that, I mean, for, as far as I can tell, it's not that being barefoot in and of itself is rude or offensive, or at least in the cultures I hang out with. It's more it's more a kind of respect thing. It's like I'm aware of people's dislike of feet, so I'm not going to push the point. So I'll, I'll sometimes I'll sit in pubs and cafes with my bag over my feet or I'll wear my crocheted sandal covering things so that it's less obvious at a casual glance. I'm not going to draw attention to them in that much detail. And it's part of who I am, but it's not like I, shall we say, shove it in people's faces. Again, that's something for OnlyFans, I think. <laughs> so if not really like seen as offensive as such, are there places where it's maybe viewed more negatively? Like I remember um, when I was in the USA, there were lots of no shoes, no shirts, no service signs. Um, how do you handle things like that? Do you just hope people won't notice? I mean, yeah, um, it, it, it's definitely something in my mind. And it, I don't like to cause a scene. I don't like to, you know, challenge. Uh, I'm not barefoot nearly as often as you might imagine, which I hope that doesn't make me sound like a fraud. But one of my friends said many years ago when I had the same discussion with her, she said the naked pastor was clothed. So was the naked chef, thankfully. Well, yes, that's something I don't really yeah, no, Just no, no um there's, there's, yikes yeah <sighs> if he's older than me there's there's a lot of misconceptions about being barefoot about the legalities of it like for example it is legal to drive barefoot although obviously not for me because i can't drive it it is legal to go shopping barefoot but as i say i don't like causing a scene so i'd rather preempt it by wearing sandals and i mean even my crocheted barefoot sandals are rarely questioned except oddly in australia of all places um there's 
yeah, no. There's, 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 there's places, shops, cafes, pubs near my flat. I don't think anything about, you know, going in barefoot because no one notices, no one cares. But there are places that I know well. I'm more wary of it if it's somewhere I've not been before, although sometimes I kind of do it anyway. Like I was barefoot for most of my trip around West Africa and it didn't cause trouble. Um, I was once thrown out of a pub for being barefoot, but that was in Cardiff and alcohol may have been involved. I am not mm-hmm. taking any further questions about that incident. Mm-hmm. I might take some questions when we're uh, not live on spaces. Anyway, um, I know that there are some cultures where pointing the soles of your feet at someone is considered quite rude, but I don't think that applies specifically to bare feet, does it? I I don't know. I mean, Southeast Asia is where I've I've noticed it most, and and it's, it's certainly a place where being barefoot in communal spaces is more common, so it's more likely to crop up. But I don't know if it applies in practice if you're wearing footwear. But I, what I would say uh, for the avoidance of doubt is, you know, a lot of customs and manners, uh, it's the principle and the spirit is more important than the letter. So if, if I were wearing walking boots, I wouldn't purposefully expose the bottoms of them to other people because it's the same principle. It's you're still exposing that underside of your foot, whether that foot is shod or not. I don't. I mean, it, it may make a difference, but I'd rather assume that it doesn't. And so therefore I wouldn't do it. Air on the side of caution yeah. sort of thing. Yes, very, very much so. Yeah. So before you travel somewhere new, is that the sort of thing that you would look up? Like, would you Google what's bad manners in Ghana or, you know, table manners in China or something like that before you left? <sighs> I am a very bad tourist in general no because it's just the trouble that you have sometimes is that um a lot of cultures a lot of rules are either hyper local or restricted to a particular and i'm going to use this word ring correctly but in in british speak it's class so what you would do um say having a meal with the vicar would be very different from what you do having a meal with the devil yeah. um so my basic underlying principles though are pretty much don't be an asshole i'm you know i'm aware that there are many cultures with specific customs and manners that you have to be mindful of but there's some general uniform concepts this might be quite a long answer um so yeah. for instance uh, one of them is don't cause a scene in public so regardless of the situation you are by sheer weight of numbers going to be in the wrong because you're one person and they're an entire village also drawing attention to yourself never going to put you in a good light so in some cultures the idea of face is important and i'm thinking specifically of china but to be honest the same is true in the uk in a way so you know if you raise your voice if you aggressively challenge if you swear that automatically puts your adversary in the moral right regardless of what actually happened there are ways and means and standing up in a restaurant going this wouldn't happen in my country is not one of them. Um, mm-hmm. I, oh, you're I, just giving me flashbacks to the lady in Turkey that was having a tantrum over chips, and I was, it was just the most cringe <laughs> thing that I've ever experienced. It was I had to pretend to be French. It was awful. Yeah, not not good, not good. What was that? What was that? What was her beef with chips? It was like were they just not no, the there right? There weren't any. We were on an excursion going round rural Turkey and it was only Turkish food on offer. And that was made very clear at the beginning of the excursion. 
And on day three, she had a tantrum because she wanted chips. And was it really that hard for these people to make her chips? And I was just so embarrassed. I didn't know her in any way, but just because <laughs> we were both British, I was just so embarrassed. Yeah. Yeah, we, we yeah, we're not, we're not good at that. Shame on you, tourist lady. Yes. Well, it's another good reason for not travelling in a group. Um. Mm. And but food is sort of an entire minefield all by itself. I mean, obviously, what she did was terrible manners, yeah. yeah and yeah, you yeah. know, stuff like chewing food with your mouth open—that's a fairly universal no-no, I would imagine, because no one wants to see chewed-up food, yeah. Um, absolutely, absolutely. But, yeah. Like, how well, do you know if, for example, it's rude to clear your plate completely in a place, or rude not to complete? clear your plate completely like I know that you know some people might take it as a terrible slight on their cooking if you didn't finish their meal other people might think oh I didn't give them enough food if you finish your meal how do you know what to do oh god um I don't <laughs> I, I I don't personally worry about it because you know for anxiety social anxiety reasons I tend not to put myself in those settings in the first place uh, and also because it's usually fairly obvious what the subtleties are. And I guess what I mean by that is um, I always felt that the secret was if you don't know what you're supposed to do, you follow the lead from others. So you eat and drink slowly so you're not the first to finish. That way you can see what happens when someone else finishes first and you can react accordingly when it's your turn. And, yeah, I, I find this is like a good vibe for most things, not just food related. So, you know, like the practicalities of traveling in a crowded minibus. Do you pay at the end of the route? Do you pay on route? Do you pay when you get on? Do you pay the driver? Do you pay someone else who gives the money to the drivers? What I've tended to find is that if you copy the regulars, uh, you might look awkward, but you'll generally be doing the right thing. The most difficult thing is the first time. Once you've done everything the first time, then it becomes easier. Uh, what I will say, so many things, isn't yeah, it? What I will say is that, you know, um, I am a one meter 90 tall, hairy, white, middle aged male presenting person. So I stand out. So it's clear. Well, I've I was about I'm doing say, you said earlier about fading into the background, but there must be places where it's quite difficult for you to do that. Like you say, you're very tall. You would yeah. stand out in a lot of these places. It must be quite difficult for you to fade into the background if you're somewhere very far from home. I generally can't. Um, so uh, it's one reason, weirdly, why I prefer to travel in West Africa than, for example, Germany, because, you know, um, any social anxiety I have can be mitigated by the fact that I am the obvious foreigner and therefore anything that I do will be blindingly obvious. So I in those that makes sense. So nobody's going to think that you're a local person who is just horribly rude. They're yes. going to realise that you're a foreigner who's maybe trying their best. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, and also they'll know that because I'm a foreigner, that I won't know what I'm doing, so therefore they're going to look out for me more. So they're more likely to help me because it will be obvious that I will need help at some point. Yeah, um, that does make sense. Although I suppose yeah. that does leave you open to like getting scammed and stuff like that. But I suppose we'll talk about that on a future space about traveling and money and stuff like that. Yeah, we we did talk about scamming in a previous space where I said that it didn't tend to happen to me because I just have no concept of focus didn't you say so, that you were just oblivious to it yeah, <laughs> it's fine people don't people don't yeah if i'm if i'm walking through a town i just walk too quickly and people just don't notice um what i will say is that um with regards there's a couple of things regarding to food or well, not with food so much but dinner things um there's some cultural mores in my own country that i simply just don't understand 
and generally ignore or at least don't concern myself with what one of them is the whole don't put your elbows on the table like i don't care about that no one cares about that literally nobody cares about that can we just drop that and um referring you know sort of like you know it's I think like, that makes sense if you've got a lot of people crowded at a small table or hmm. you've got lots and lots yeah. of cutlery on the table. But usually the people that have got lots and lots of cutlery on the table are the only people who care about you putting your elbows on the table. And those kind of people would throw really rubbish dinner parties anyway. You don't want to go around and hang out <laughs> with them. Do you know why that's a rule, by the way? Um, no. OK. As far as I can tell, my research suggests that it's it's... You've got to remember that at the time you had large parties of, you know, families and community groups. Um, so you had a large number of people there and there would have been a lot of alcohol. And it appears to have come from a fear that putting your elbows on the table was seen as an aggressive stance. So it's like either the act in and of itself is deemed to be aggressive or because by putting your elbows on the table you're taking up more space on the table you're invading somebody else's personal space so the mm. chances are it may start a fight and it may start an argument and then you know what's the next step after uh, putting your elbows on the table it's unsheathing your sword and starting a fight um so, so are, we saying that, are we saying then that putting your feet up in an aeroplane is the modern day equivalent to trying to start a duel by putting your elbows on the table because you're getting I, up in that person's personal space. I mean, possibly. Um, <laughs> I think the reaction would be different, but yes. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I'm not the sort of person to challenge people in aeroplanes when they do that. Um, <laughs> not even if it's in your space. I, like I, if, if somebody's feet were in your face, you would just quietly avoid the conflict. I would quietly avoid the conflict unless it was unless I was. <laughs> it depends on the on the context and the position but yes i would probably 95 percent of the time i would try and ignore it and look very uncomfortable doing so but i would be trying to ignore it five percent of the time i'd bite them uh, not on their feet <laughs> god <laughs> like, like you said earlier we know how dirty airplane floors yeah. are <laughs> yes I hope they're ticklish. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> so, and we're staying back into OnlyFans again. Yes, uh, that's going to come up a bit. Uh, what else can we say? Oh, yeah. So if I, um, what was else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, you were talking earlier about looking up manners and looking yeah. up things. So another thing that I have as a basic principle is... Um, if you wouldn't wear it to church, don't wear it to Sainsbury's. That, that's the kind of trite way of thinking. What I mean by yeah, that, yeah. yeah, what I mean by that is it tends to be better to dress on the side of conservativeness if you're in a different culture to your own. Now, really, yeah, I don't understand people that go around in bikinis in supermarkets just because they're in a different country. You're in a supermarket. I mean, clothes on. It's fair. I, uh, you know, I'd be tempted to go around in a bikini and old in 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 Shorelands, but that's not the point. It's very um, hot at the moment. Okay, we haven't got air conditioning. <laughs> it is very hot. We don't have air conditioning. Um, religious buildings obviously have their own specific rules, but regardless of what they are, it's probably best not to push it or even to stick precisely to those limits. So mm. in general, you know, things like cover your shoulders, cover your knees, probably best to cover your stomach. Uh, if you do that, you're pretty much good to go anywhere, regardless of what the rules are. Um, so, you know, save the crop tops and miniskirts, the places that you know. 
I am aware that there are some orthodox religious sites that require a bit more coverage. So, for example, in certain Jewish sites, in synagogues, and certainly the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, men have to wear a head covering. And some places, especially Islamic settings, require the elbows covered with a shawl or something. But what I've noticed is that in a lot of these places, those sorts of things are provided before you enter. So you don't need to worry about it so much. Because thoughtful. Yes. Yeah. Especially in tourist areas where they expect tourists to turn up wearing shorts and a T-shirt. Um, yeah. What I would say as an extension to that is that there's a perceived cultural difference between male and female clothing and by extension, what men and women can get away with. So, for example, I am not particularly fond of the concept of topless men. And I am the walk I did today around eastern Glasgow. I saw about five of them partly because I have no desire to see topless men because I don't swing that way, but also because when you get right down to it, the only difference between a male and female chest is the shape. Women's tend to be bigger in one place and men's tend to be bigger as a whole. Both are as sexual or as sexless as each other. So I've never understood why women weren't allowed to go topless if men are. Um, I've also... I would rather we err towards nobody going topless, yeah. to be honest. I don't want to have to yeah. think about someone's boob sweat being on my vegetables in little. I, 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 the only reason I ever go topless is uh, if I'm in the shower, and that's only because I kind of have to. Um, I've, I've, also, I've also never understood the hate of, uh, for men to wear skirts. We are, as you've mentioned, we're in the middle of a heat wave right now. The one thing that I don't want is sticky, sweaty fabric next to my thighs and bollocks. With, oh, with yeah, sorry for that image. With with a with a skirt, everything's fresh. It's free. It's open. It's more comfortable. Um, I am hopeful that people like Harry Styles can change this. Um, obviously, yeah. obviously, many cultures have a male female split, not just in the UK. It's it's not something I tend to think about um, because you know there is a tendency for me to. You know, if I, I would have to wear more if I were female, but in general terms, I'd sooner do that anyway. I mean, partly that's mm. personal, I could avoid sunburn. But I was going to say, it's a practical thing in places where it's very mm. hot to cover your skin up from the sun, have fabric that can wick sweat yeah. away from you and not have tight-fitting things. The dress codes do just make sense, to be honest. Absolutely. And um, if you actually look at what men wear in, in Arabic countries and African countries, it is quite flowing it is quite loose yeah. um I, i'm also as you know not very comfortable showing off my body so i tend to prefer the baggier but you know more feminine clothing I, I i my views may change if i start to take estrogen and progesterone we'll see i'm not saying that i'm going to do that i'm just pointing it out that it might change me i do find it interesting that you mentioned that there actually but we will talk about that, that another time <laughs> I had to look that up, right? I had to do research on that. I had to specifically find it out so that I got it right for this, for this space. Um, another aspect, another um, rule that I have, um, it's to do with food, amongst other things, but also just general behaviour. And it basically boils down to, if it disgusts you at home, don't do it abroad. Now, with regards to food and stuff like that, um, like not every culture frowns on things like eating with your mouth open or burping. Um, indeed, some cultures see burping as a good thing. It shows you enjoyed your meal. As an aside, I can't burp. Not properly. My, my, my digestive system makes some wonderful noises after eating garlic and spices that mean I can't record a podcast after a curry. But I can't burp on demand. Or we will not talk about farting. But, <laughs> but, 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 but 
I like big butts and I cannot lie. Uh, I that's a lie. I I'd say it's a good rule of thumb to be as polite as broad then as polite abroad as you are at home. Mm. So I don't, I don't know if you remember this, but a couple of years ago, there was a group of Western tourists and they were arrested for taking photographs at the top of one of Malaysia's highest mountains because uh, they were naked. Uh, I mean, I, I wouldn't be naked at the top of Ben Nevis. Why the fuck would you do that at the top of a mountain in the country with a much more conservative outlook? Although, um, obviously, so it must warmer. have been really cold. <laughs> well, I imagine the top of Ben Nevis is probably colder. But yes, um, I mean, what makes it worse is the mountain had a spiritual backstory. So culturally. Oh, but, you know, yeah. you that's you a big yikes then. That's yeah. a much bigger yikes than just getting naked in a public space, which is already a bit yikes on its own anyway. Indeed. Indeed. Plus, of course, when you travel, you're effectively, you know, whether you like it or not, you're effectively giving people you meet an impression of what people from your country are like. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. you, you know how certain tourists in the UK, like, for example, American tourists, uh, are mm. seen and, and, and how there's that reputation that, may or may not be justified um but there's certainly a reputation that they have and, and stuff. Um, mm. yeah you, you hear people you hear some americans pretending to be canadian to distance themselves from the stereotype no one should have to do that yeah you should, you should be able to be well I'm not saying you should be proud of where you come from because, you know, I'm British. But You should be able to say where you're from and yeah. not have to cringe yourself inside out because somebody else is having a tantrum about chips. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Um, oh, oh. So coming back to... There's a couple more things about this. Um, one of them is another, another, another point I have is you could say, like, Point one, local morals are always correct. And if you disagree, refer to point one. So you know about mm -hmm. not making a scene? This yeah. is kind of more about even if you disagree with something, you kind of it's not your place and it's not your time to rail about it. You know yeah. like you just said a minute ago, it's you against an entire community yeah. that has decided this rule, you're not gonna win this argument. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But what it also means is things like um, so you know. I don't like the tipping culture in the USA. I, 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 I perceive it to be quite morally wrong, the sign of an absolutely dire socioeconomic structure. And the only way it will ever change to something fairer is if people there stand up and instigate change, but specifically people there. So yeah. do I tip in the USA? Yes, of course I do. Mm -hmm. yeah. It's not my place to change that. Um, similarly, I imagine it's hard being a vegetarian or a vegan in a society that, you know, has live animal markets. There's there's kind mm. of nothing you can do to change that culture. So if it truly irks you to the point of wanting to do something about it, then. Maybe don't go there. <laughs> exactly. Maybe just don't go there. And I, I know it sounds harsh, but, you know, you're ranting and raving about it. It's not going to change anything. So all it's going to do is serve to highlight you as the ignorant foreigner. There yeah. are ways to change the world. That is not one of them. I do, however, as I often do, I have one exception to this. There is one thing, one moral culture, one moral societal concept that I refuse to engage with. It's more to do with my social anxiety and my neurodiversity that I literally do not understand the concept and I cannot get it and I cannot do it and I don't do it. And that's haggling. I, I can't imagine anything more inefficient and pointless than haggling for a product or an object. 
you know, just put I the damn. Like we've on. talked about this on a previous space as well, haven't we? Just I, I, the whole anxiety of not wanting to perform yeah. the ritual of haggling over what is essentially pennies a yes. lot of the time. Yeah. I mean, my point is, if it's too expensive, I won't buy it. I do not have the spoons to have a long conversation about five dollars. Yes, that's not the only thing you're planning on buying that day. No. Indeed. Oh, but it's the way they do things. Fuck off. I do not feel comfortable talking to people, especially not in a foreign language, and I need to be in and out as quickly as possible, ideally without speaking to anyone at all. If you tell me what the price is, I'll either pay it or I won't. And then some people say, oh, but haggling is fun. Fuck off. Not to people like me, it isn't. Neurodiversity. So does that mean that you end up overpaying for things because you don't want to take part in haggling? Like no, they'll open with something high and you'll just go, okay, and they'll be like, oh. No, I, I generally just don't buy things. I generally don't go i mean it has to be said it's it's kind of a sideways argument because i don't buy souvenirs anyway so there's very little that i would buy that requires haggling but things like buying stuff in markets you know food and whatnot i've got better things to do than this and you know I, i i can mask my neurodiversity in many ways but this is not one of them just let me pay let me pay without complexity without your life story you'll get your money i'll get my purchase everything will be fine um that's the only thing i don't do well that that makes me think that maybe you might not be able to answer my next question actually but we'll see and um well i've seen quite a few travel bloggers recounting stories about being taken in and fed by strangers apparently that's often part of the culture to feed travelers in more civilized parts of the world um (laughs) (laughs) sweden um but I'm, I'm presuming that that's maybe something that you don't do because of your social anxiety. But what I was wondering was, like, how sh- should you respond to an offer like that if you suspect that accepting somebody's hospitality might leave them themselves hungry? Like, it would be a, a wound to their pride if you were going to refuse for that reason. But obviously, you don't want to leave somebody hungry. So how do you handle something like that? Yeah, it's a, it's a very cultural thing. There's a lot of, I mean, Islamic culture hindu culture and sikh culture especially have tenets in their religion that require them to um keep strangers well effectively um do what they need to do and hospitality hospitality is a basic tenet of their religion so that's why you get things like um big sikh temples and hindu temples having basically free canteens um with entirely vegetarian food it's great um uh with regards to you know individual households it's a tricky one i i i don't think you can worry about it i don't i think i think if you try and think about it too much you'll just it'll just get awkward um the basic line i guess is just don't abuse their hospitality that's about all you can do I, I would assume, and that this may be an erroneous view, but I kind of assume that they know what they know what they're doing more than you do. So, you know, they're going to offer you food, but they know what they can resourcefully afford to give away. So, again, take your lead from them. And so, do you think and, it would be rude to then offer them like some kind of food based gift afterwards to say thank you for their hospitality? Or is it because it's expected of them because of their religious views? Is that seen? as a snub as well like how would you find something like that out before you went somewhere my understand i mean there are people there are you know there are um 
etiquette guidebooks. There are bloggers that talk about this sort of thing. There, there are websites devoted to this sort of thing. It's probably on Wikipedia. But one thing I do, I don't, one thing I am, I am aware of is that it's the one thing you should never do is give them money. Yeah, then you're putting a value and a price on the hospitality. So, I mean, in cultures like Central Asia, I believe the right thing to do is to give a gift of a packet of rice, for instance, or, you know, mm. a watermelon. Um, like a contribution to their next meal yeah. sort of thing. Effectively, yes. Something that you can get from the market that they would buy anyway and that you're just helping them along. and it's not money, so there's no kind of angst about how much. Yeah, it's not is. a transaction on then. Yeah, it's just a transaction, absolutely. I mean, what, what they may even do is prompt you to do the right thing. So, you know, the whole process of that, um, having a meal, how, knowing how much to eat, knowing when to, you know, uh, you mentioned earlier about um, clearing your plate and things like that. Um, it's They may prompt you to... Um, give the right response so they will help you um but what i will say is that my heart goes out to people with allergies um mm. especially like you know i was in central asia central asia is really fond of horse milk and yak milk and if you're in any way lactose intolerant it can get really awkward mm. um i mean the other thing is even if you're not um you, there may be things that are really nice in their culture but are so you just don't like them um and i had mm. this problem actually with central asia I, I had a horse milk suite from a nomadic herder when me and layla were in mongolia uh, we overnighted in a year it was the start of the season so we helped them build it uh that's a whole other cultural experience anyway they're really fond of things made from kumis or mare's milk she's lactose intolerant anyway and i'm not that fond of milk generally unless it's a chocolate milkshake no or I'm not. lassie um but we had some of these sweets they taste a bit like sour yogurt and they have the consistency of a small neutron star we, <laughs> we 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 sucked a bit to be polite but then kind of surreptitiously got rid of them after a suitable time when no one was looking i mean not gonna lie i've sucked on worse but that's the subject for a previous space <laughs> Well, moving on from there, uh, talking of stuff that you put in your mouth, I guess. <laughs> um, I mean, well. <laughs> <laughs> and meal times in other cultures, yeah. Another aspect of that is that a lot of religions have times where they fast. Um, presumably, as a tourist in those places, you can still buy food when people are fasting. But is that considered a bit rude? I mean, I would find it a bit inconsiderate if somebody made me cook for them, knowing that I wasn't supposed to be eating. Like, yeah. I, I, I find this really interesting. Uh, I mean, the most obvious is Ramadan. Um, may surprise you to learn I've never travelled to an Islamic country during Ramadan. My, my, I'm surprised by that, given how many you've visited. <laughs> quite. My understanding is... As a tourist, there are always options uh, in a similar vein to how Jewish businesses are exempt from Sunday trading laws in the UK, as long as they close appropriately for their own Sabbath. Um, we're saying like Ramadan, it's a case of face, I guess. It's a case of don't be obvious about it. Don't eat or drink in public. Do it where there are mm. other tourists or where there are other unbelievers. Don't expect things to cater for your needs. Be respectful where they are. 
just also be aware that just because a religion or culture says something doesn't mean that everybody follows the letter of it. Um, but again, that's all very under the shelf. So it's like I was reliably informed in Morocco that people drink indoors because Anna can't see them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, why not? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, al alcohol, alcohol is more popular in some of these countries than you might expect. And on a previous pod, I did have a contribution from one of my friends about finding alcohol in Yemen, which is not a country that you would expect to find alcohol in. Um, no. But yes, um, if you basically if you know the right questions to ask and you know where to look. It exists. It's just very much under the radar. I mean, you know, everybody knows about it, but officially nobody knows about it. So the culture for the, when you're doing something that, you know, illegal, don't bring attention to it. Be subtle. Be mindful of your surroundings. Um, uh, disclaimer, I am not promoting drinking alcohol in Yemen, merely pointing out that if that's what you want to do, there are ways of means of doing it. Um, but not a role model. Definitely not a role model. And nor is Alistair. Um, my, but, to, you know, TLDL, my, my understanding, and I may be wrong at this, um, because my only experience of religion based restrictions is uh, a bog standard Jewish Sabbath in Israel, uh, where everything was pretty much closed anyway. So it wasn't an issue. Um, basically, you won't have the option to worry about it. Uh, unless you go to places hidden away and or run or operated by people not of that religion. But I would suggest it's probably better if you ask someone that has experienced it, because I haven't. Uh, I've not done everything. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, I, I've, I've been to Israel during the, the Sabbath. And, yeah, quite it's, it, it was like Wales on a Sunday in the 1990s. It was like, good luck finding anything to do here. Um, the cash points didn't even work. Oh, wow. <laughs> because well, the basic principle, my understanding, and uh, there may be Jewish people listening to this that could correct me, but my understanding of this is that the Jewish Sabbath is strict in the sense that you're not allowed to do any work. This means that all of the food that you eat has to have been either cooked the previous day or does not require cooking because cooking is work. You can't draw money out of an ATM because that requires work um you can't you know buy things in shops because that requires somebody working in the shop i mean that actually makes much more sense than my initial thought when you said that the atms um didn't work which was oh the atms get the day off too <laughs> <laughs> what's going on there um you, you had you had something similar in the outer hebrides um until very recently actually where you know, you had the authorities locking children's playgrounds and chaining up the swings to stop people from using them, stop children using them on the Sunday. Because oh, you not have to play on a Sunday. No, because there's, there's a line in the Outer Hebrides. North, south of that line is Catholic and they don't care, but north of that line is, is Protestant, but it's like, you know, um, Ian Paisley type Protestant. It's, it's, it's strongly... Um, Presbyterian type, very, it, it, yes, very much Puritan type. So you know, there, there were people with placards protesting uh, the ferry ports when the ferries started arriving on the Sunday. Um, yes. If you fell in, if you fell ill on a Sunday, you couldn't actually get to a hospital until the Monday. Oh my gosh, I'm surprised by that one. Mm. <laughs> 
I have absolutely no idea how to link that to my next question, though. Like, literally <laughs> no idea whatsoever. I was going to speak to you some more about food, you see. Um, <laughs> well, obviously, you can't you can't eat on it. Well, yeah. I think it's relaxed a bit now, but certainly back in the day, um, and the day was, you know, within your lifetime, where you wouldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't check into a hotel in the Outer Hebrides on a Sunday. Wow, um, you couldn't use a petrol station. Not that there were very many petrol stations in in in, in Harrison Lewis. <laughs> but it's big enough that that could cause you an actual problem, isn't it? <laughs> Not being able to buy petrol. <laughs> well, yes, um, because it's work. Um, so yes. But so is walking home if you ran out of petrol. <laughs> yeah, you, I think you're allowed to walk, but you're not allowed to jog. Okay. <laughs> because, because jogging is fun. It's a, it's, it's a fun activity and an exercise, and woe betide you if you have fun on a Sunday. It isn't um, a fun exercise when I do it. <laughs> no. So, um, yes. back to food and cooking some more and stuff like that. Utensils, right? Utensils. You've spoken before about being dyspraxic, so I would imagine that means learning to use different utensils like chopsticks or whatever is difficult if you're not used to doing it. Um, would you, like, ask for a spoon or just have a go and try your best? Um, well, <laughs> I mean, no, because that requires me speaking to people. Um, I, I, I actually <laughs> can use chopsticks relatively well. I have trouble with the very end dregs of them, but I'm mostly okay. Uh, my dyspraxia is just, you know, picking them up in the first place, not having them fall on the floor because, you know, I don't know where they are. Um, but once I've got them in my hand, I'm kind of OK with them. Also, they're actually quite easy to use, relatively speaking, as long as you've got big bits in your in your meal. It's it, it's quite hard to fail to use them um, where it gets tricky is. Um, I mean, <laughs> oh, I was going to say you can't stab yourself with a chopstick either. I've managed to stab myself with a fork before now, which is quite an impressive achievement. And it hurt. Um, so don't say that you can't stab yourself with a chopstick because the fates will take that as a challenge in your particular case. I wear glasses at least, so there's no danger of sticking it in my eye. Um, what I've tended to find is that the staff uh, of some of these restaurants will notice that you're a tourist and they'll provide cutlery anyway. They don't make a show of it, just your meal will come with a fork or a spoon. Uh, I may be misremembering, but I'm sure that when I was travelling with Layla on that trip through China and Mongolia... We actually had to ask for chopsticks once because they weren't provided because the waitstaff assumed that as Westerners, we weren't skilled with them. Um, <laughs> if, I, if I were less able with chopsticks or whatever, then I would. Well, I would say I'd have to meekly ask for them, but that's not actually what would happen. What would actually happen is that I'd probably overplay how bad I was using them in the hope that the staff would take pity on me and provide them to save the embarrassment. Um, <laughs> one, one thing about chopsticks. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's the whole... Um, don't stick them up right in a bowl of rice because that's a similar association of death and funeral rites uh, thing. But but specifically with regards to this, regarding to the dregs, you know, I said that I had difficulty um, eating the last of the meal with chopsticks because, you know, yeah. individual, individual grains of rice are very hard to pick up. Uh, you know what the correct thing to do is? No. It is to bring the bowl to your mouth and use the chopsticks to kind of shove the dregs in. Now, to someone of my upbringing, that feels almost as dubious as putting a plate to your mouth and making the, drinking the gravy off it. Well, yeah. I do know someone that does that, one of my ex-girlfriends. She'd lick the plate afterwards. Perfectly logical, ensures no wastage, gets lots of flavour, but will probably get you stirs if you tried it even in the weather spoons. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. 
So from utensils then to no utensils, right? Mm. There are places where you eat with your hands. I assume that there's things that you need to be mindful of with that. And there are also places where you might be sharing dishes with and bowls and things like that with people that you don't know. So are there like unwritten rules, like a hierarchy of who eats first or whatever? And how would you know if there was a thing like that before you dived in? I mean, again, it's it's follow other people. And if they wait patiently and look at you expectantly, then there's probably a fair chance that it's probably your turn to, to dive in. <laughs> um, one of my best friends is very germphobic and when we were living together she refused to allow me to cook for her because I you know for example I have a tendency to bite my nails and other things that we don't talk about so pretty much unless I did everything wearing latex gloves she preferred doing things herself with regards to food I mean I now, suppose that means you've got your meal cooked as well though so well no because she didn't cook for me we just cooked separately and oh, you fair know <laughs> If we got takeaway, we'd divvy it out before we started. So there was no communal sharing of takeaways. We'd just take half and then eat separately. Um, so, I mean, obviously she knew me pretty well. So she knew what sort of person I am. Uh, when I'm in an environment with strangers and we're likely to be sharing food, uh, and the correlation between sharing bowls and eating with your hands is quite high, um, especially in, you know, Central Asia, East Asia, Southeast Asia, and South Asia, where they use things like bread a lot for cutlery. Uh, and in West Africa, where they use pounded yam or cassava in the same way, where you, you know, they have bowls of what we might call soup, and you take a handful of the cassava, cassava or the, the pounded yam. It has the consistency of mashed potato. And then you dip it into the soup and you kind of eat like like that, like, like that. So you're kind of using it like a bread roll. Um, I can so imagine the... that being very comforting food, actually. Oh, it is. It's very nice food. Uh, I mean, um, uh, fufu sauce arashid is, is one of my favorite dishes. Fufu. Oh, dear. Um, that's what it's called. Uh, and, it, you know, so they're very sauce-based meals quite often. Um, so strangers don't know me. I don't know my habits, but I do. So I have to be consciously aware not to be seen to be biting my nails, not to be seen to be scratching my hair, etc. while I'm at the mm -hmm. table. Um, what I will say is that, as I've said earlier, there's a whole ritual of hand washing before you start. So the host will, you know, bring around a container of hot water and a towel. So everyone knows you're clean before you start. Yeah, um, I suppose that's reassuring for everyone. Absolutely. It's reassuring for me as well. I don't know where my hand's been. Um, <laughs> there is but particularly if you've been in a place where you use your hands to clean up after the toilet and stuff like that yes and i'm going to come on to that very shortly what i will say as well is that certainly i had this issue in west africa um everything is very dusty it's very mm. sandy and dusty in the air so you know walking down the street and you know holding you know if you put your hand against a tree or the you know you you're opening a door by the time you get to your meal your hand is very it's covered in like uh orange dust um so it feels quite i'm not going to say dirty because dirty is the wrong word but it it, it you need to wash your hands because otherwise you're already going to taste it dust yeah and so um it, it's a very very big and a very important thing to do just keep your hands washed i mean it carrying around a um small bottle of hand sanitizer is one of the greatest things i've discovered for my travels uh, i always i always carry it around with me when i'm traveling abroad now because mm. it's so much simpler oh my hand is full of dust 
quick wipe. Oh, no, it's not. Um, so now there is that famous ethic of hand eating where you always use your right hand because, as you've alluded to, the left hand is the one used for, I mean, the euphemism is cleansing yourself, but they mean wiping your ass. My, now, you see, this always confused me because I'm right handed, like 90 percent of the world's population. So it would never occur to me to use my left hand for that because I'm mm -hmm. right handed. So, you know, I'd have much more control using my right hand because we use toilet paper. But the first time I ever went to an Islamic country, it became clear and obvious why. So obviously in Quranic days, they have used a jug of water for this. But then I have these fantastic handheld bidet showers, you know, powerful water pistols attached to the mains water supply. You fire up and around your bum hole. They're great. I want one. Especially My would make such a mess with that. I can't even. <laughs> they, they, I mean, they do have porcelain floors. So they're, you know, and, and they're constructed so that all the water flows down the, I'm going to say plug hole. Um, I don't know if there's, there's a drainage word, hole. Draining mm. hole, yes. So, yeah, you'll make a lot of wetness, but equally it won't last very long and it's easy to clean afterwards. And it's they're, kind of you know, wet roomish. Yes, wet roomish, yes. And they're especially good if you have the squids, because, you know, in the West, we just stand there and use half a toilet roll. With a bidet shower, it's blast, blast, rub, rub, all clean. Um, but there's the, uh, there's the rub. So as a right-handed individual, I'd hold the jug, I'd hold the nozzle in my right hand. What would I do with my left hand? I'd guide the water into the right place. So it'd be my mm. left hand that's doing all the dirty work. Um, I was doing research for this space and I did actually look this up because I, I, I was, it's one of those things that in popular culture, that's what we believe. But is that actually true? Is that where it comes from? And it turns out there's a whole host of cultural things, at least in Islamic culture, that you are actually mandated to do with one hand over the other um, because the left hand is the dirty hand. It's the hand that the devil uses and things like that. Mm. So you're supposed to undress with the left hand and you're supposed to dress yourself with the right. You're supposed to enter the mosque with the right hand and leave the mosque with the left. And the opposite is true of toilets. You enter the toilet with the left hand and leave with your right hand. You should blow your nose with your left hand. I can't do that. Um, but you're supposed to. I don't think I could undo buttons with one hand. Maybe what? they don't wear a lot of buttons. I, I can. Well, no, they don't. If you look at a lot of Islamic clothing, it's very sort of uh, it's. Very flowing. It's flowing. It, it, it's knotted. It's, it's, it's tucked. It's wrapped. It's not buttoned, generally. Um, but mm. also, I can, I can do a button with one hand. Um, also, clipping nails and combing hair, you should do with your right hand. What I don't know, culturally, is what left-handed people do, because uh, they themselves know they'd be using their dirty hand to eat with and to shake hands with. But their hosts wouldn't necessarily know that. So they'd assume that you were using your dirty hand if you tried to be accurate. Yeah, so, and presumably that could then be quite offensive to somebody yeah, because absolutely. they think that you're trying to... Yes. Yeah. So they, they would think you're being offensive, whereas you would think you're being offensive if you're using that right hand because that's your dirty hand. Um, Interesting what I, little problem. Yeah. What I also found out, uh, the rules about eating with your left hand are actually less strict than you imagine. So the rule is that you're not allowed to bring your left hand to your mouth and you're not you're not supposed to put your left hand into contact with anything you're going to be eating. You can use your left hand to hold something you're not going to eat, like cutlery or, you know, a piece of dried bread that you're using for convenience. So if you've got a, a large naan, for instance, but there's one bit of it that's a bit too crisp, you can hold that. My understanding is you can hold the crispy bit of the naan with your left hand because you're not going to be eating that bit of the naan. Uh, and as far as I'm aware... 
Yeah, it's all... like the Cornish pasty thing, isn't it? That's yeah. the crust yeah. of the Cornish pasty was originally because you would throw that bit away and you wouldn't have to clean your hands before you ate your pasty. Exactly. Exactly. The Cornish miners didn't have hand sanitizer. Um, so and I understand that you're also allowed to scrape stuff away with your left hand again if you're not going to eat the stuff that you're scraping away. So it's not as strict as you cannot use your left hand. It's just be mindful of where you're using it and make sure that you don't use it to eat with and don't bring it to your lips. Mm -hmm. So if you're going to wipe your mouth, do it with your right hand. That makes sense. Um, but there will be inevitably times that you do inadvertently get things wrong. Um, is that is it good to be able to like apologize if you get things wrong are those things in local languages that you look up before you go uh i mean yeah there's a few words that i think they're culturally appropriate to learn before you travel i mean people like me never remember them but that's not the point the intent is there there are words like you know sorry yes um please thank you no excuse me pardon uh i'm sure there are others but i mean they'll cover most situations I'd say the language appropriate equivalent of I don't speak your language might be useful to keep in reserve, but it's usually clearly apparent before you get that far. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, I guess a less useful phrase would be onik panash ayom televone kunakol, but I guess that depends on who and where you are. What does that mean? Uh, my hovercraft is full of eels in Hungarian. Oh, of course, of course, you would need to say that in any trip to Hungary. <laughs> it's just a staple <laughs> phrase. Um, I suppose words like pardon are a bit tricky, though, because like that can mean in English, it can mean I didn't hear you or I stepped on your foot. Sorry for that. Or even I farted and I think you heard that. Um, but you don't want to say something that's the equivalent to I'm sorry, I farted when you actually mean, could you repeat that for me, please? So how do you make sure that things like Google Translate are telling you an accurate thing to say for the context? I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think all languages have something similar. So I know that German has bitter, which I learned at school as please, as in please pass the beer, bitter reich mir das Bier. But it means all manner of things from you're welcome to yes, in the sense of reply to questions like can I or may I. It also means here you go if you're giving someone an item. Um, and it's basically around the context that it's used in. There's a, there's a joke that in German that's pretty much anything can be answered with bitter. Uh, from can I sit here to your wife's run off with another woman uh, and the only thing that changes is the tone of the voice so again it's very contextual um, so mm -hmm. you know if, if in the case of pardon if you know um, it's usually obvious which sense of the word you mean so if you step on someone's foot it's unlikely that you just farted and even if you have in the British solution would be you know to say it twice with explanations because you know Language is about communication. It doesn't matter if you're technically wrong in what you say as, what, as long as, you know, you make yourself understood and the meaning is clear from the context of the sentence and the situation. Um, so mm -hmm. I don't think it's as big a deal as perhaps you might think it is. Well, I, one of the ways that I would usually think to make sure that I've clarified my speech is by using accompanying gestures, right? But um, I would take a shrug as a fairly neutral, I don't know, most of the time. Um, but I've read that in some places, shrugging is considered really very rude. Um, like The OK gesture can mean different things depending on where you're using it. Um, how do you, like If you don't know the language very well, you're going to be relying on gestures. So is that something that you would research before you went? Or do you just 
hope that people gather from the context that you're trying to be polite? I mean, again, it's obvious that you're a foreigner in a lot of places. So um, I would imagine that if you did a rude gesture without knowing it, they would be more understanding of because you're not you're not expected to know everything. I mean, obviously, it helps if you do the research and you. But the trouble with hand gestures is that there's a lot of them that we do. There's a lot of them that everybody does all over the world that are second nature. And we just never think about checking. It's like, why would I check about the OK sign? It would mm. never. Occur to, I know that I should because I know that there are um, places where that's an issue. But under normal circumstances, it's not something I would ever think of checking because it's it's just not on my. I just do it. I just don't think about it. So you um, wouldn't maybe have a Google of like what's considered rude in X country before you go? I mean, honestly, a lot of the countries that I visit don't have that information. But that's another mm. story. Those who are um, beyond the brochure a lot of yeah. time. Um, maybe I should be writing that. Um, but all I would say as well is that a lot of that is is it's kind of can be kind of hyper local anyway. Um so I mean, finger counting, finger counting something. So, you know, it, it's it's only a little thing. It's not a rude gesture, but um, there are different styles of finger counting. So, you know, in, in, in the UK, we would just count one finger, two finger, three finger, four finger, five finger. Um, I think in Germany, they count the thumb separate. So they, they, they do the same thing, but they count the thumb in a different place. So they count the fingers first and then the thumbs, I believe. I may be wrong on that. Um, but in some cultures, they count the individual knuckles. So you can count up to a much bigger number. And the trouble with that, of course, is that if you're trying to buy two things in a market, you might end up trying, you might end up actually buying six because yeah. each finger has three knuckles. So if you gesture slightly wrongly, you might end up with more than you need. Um, it's why I always think it's useful to learn the numbers in the local language of where you are. And in certain places like West Africa, that doesn't mean you know the colonial language that means either the local language of where you are like you or mossy or uh, mandinka or more likely whatever the local linga franca trading language is so in much of eastern africa that's swahili even if none of the societies where you are would use swahili as a main communication language that's just the language that's developed as lots of people with different languages have traded with each other and they use that as the the market language as it were so, so it's like common in D&D? &D. Yes, yes, very much so. Um, finger gestures as well. Um, and obviously the biggie one is when we point at people or to, you know, beckon them over to you. And in many cultures, it's rude to point at people at all. Um, we in the UK tend to tell people to come here by. And when I was doing this, um, preparing this space, I was actually looking at my hand to see exactly what we did. So... You kind of take your palm, usually the right hand, bend three of your fingers into your palm. I don't know what you do with your thumb. And then the, the finger next to the thumb, you sort of move the knuckles towards you like a snake. Um, whereas in some cultures, that's a rude gesture. And what, the they actually, yes, and what they actually do is something like with the palm face down, curling all the fingers and then kind of almost like scooping so they're scooping stuff up like they're scooping that, towards you towards them yes effectively yes mm -hmm. um so it's a very different hand action um 
And it's not something that we would know unless we specifically looked for it. In yeah, I was going to say, I wouldn't find it yeah. immediately obvious that that's what a person was doing if Absolutely. they did that to me. Yeah. Um, I mean, the other danger is driving, which, again, doesn't affect me. But many countries have severe penalties for perceived road rage incidents and gestures that, you know, might seem innocent to us, to us, but don't go down well in other places, especially if the driver of the other car perceived it's directed at them. I know that... Um, yeah, another issue imagine... with driving is um, a taxi driver was telling me this, actually, because he um, was in England driving and he said it was confusing when he first started driving in England because where he's from in Bangladesh, flashing your lights at somebody means I intend to go, whereas yeah. here, flashing your lights at somebody means I'm letting you go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've seen driving in Bangladesh. I was quite surprised to hear that there were driving laws in Bangladesh. Oh, there are driving laws in Bangladesh. The trip with Bangladesh is that there are so many cars on the road that um, it's quicker to walk. Yeah. I, I took a... Um, a coach from Dakar to Silhet, uh, and the coach took about seven hours, of which two of them were getting out of Dakar. Um, there is that much traffic. Um, that sounds like an incredibly stressful journey, but you're quite used to having the long bus journeys and things like that when you're travelling, aren't you? Uh, yes, but I did take the plane on the way back, which wasn't <laughs> that much more expensive and took a, about half an hour. Granted, it was completely foggy and I didn't see anything out the window for the entire journey and the uh, fastened seatbelt sign was on for the entire journey. Mm. But, um, you, a lot of the time when you travel, you try to sort of live like a local, don't you? You were talking about yeah. um, when we were talking yeah. about in our health space, you talked about eating local foods, eating where the locals eat because yeah. you're less likely to get bad food that way and things like that. And yes, very much so. How, um, and you said yeah. earlier in this space as well that a lot of the time you do sort of hang back and watch what other people do so that you can take a social cue on yes. how to behave. So, very much so. How, how do you avoid doing things like accidentally taking part in like closed religious practices and stuff like that because you've just been following people along? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's never happened, but. I think one of the reasons why it's never happened is because um, it's usually not a problem because, as, you know, as a tourist, it's blindingly obvious that I'm an outsider and therefore it will be very clear where the boundaries are. So um, um, they will stop you if they think that you're doing something that you shouldn't be doing or being somewhere that you shouldn't be. Then they will step in and go, hang on a minute, you shouldn't be here. This is for, you know, practices mm -hmm. of religious only. This is for locals only. You don't need to do this. So it's generally quite easy. Where it becomes interesting is where you get taken in, where you, where you end up traveling and living like a local so much that they end up taking you into their local religious practices. Um, so, for example, I was in Vanuatu. I was on the island of Gawa in the north of the country. I was staying in a small hut that was owned and run by a local family. And it was Sunday. Uh, I was busy doing some clothes washing, which is a very manual process in Vanuatu. When a couple of the younger family members came up and asked if I was going to go to church, I said, I'm busy washing clothes and I might be along later. Which, as you know, personally, that is British English for no. <laughs> uh, this does not translate into Ni Vanuatu. So when I had finished my washing, I was asked again with an unspoken undercurrent vibe of, 
this is a very cultural thing and honour and it would be rude to decline. Which is why I spent two hours in a small church being sermonised by a tag team of two preachers for at least two hours. And they were speaking in Bislama, the official language, which is different enough from English as to be a foreign language to me, and yet similar enough to be annoyingly recognisable in short bursts. Um, interestingly, aside from the preachers, I was the only male coded person in the room. Um, but that's another story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what I will also say about religion is that you do have to be very careful about offending religious sensibilities with gestures, signs, phrases, what have you. Um, so, for instance, in Saudi Arabia, making the sign of the cross does not go down well, uh, regardless of intent or demographic, and even if it's done accidentally. Uh, and speaking of the sign of the cross, it's, this isn't going to cause a diplomatic instant anymore because, you know, let's face it, the East-West Schism of 1054 was a long time ago. Never mind the First Council of Constantinople. But it is notable for those in the know, when you make the sign of the cross with your hand, Western sects like Christianity and Protestantism touch the left shoulder first. Mm. Eastern Orthodox touch the right shoulder first. So if someone's watching, they will know what your religion cult sect is. Or they will know that you're copying someone. <laughs> or they will think that you're copying someone, yes. You mentioned being um, the only male-coded person in that church then, yeah? Um, so... Let's talk for a second about the intersections between sort of queer culture and travelling off the beaten track a little bit. I mean, you've blogged recently about the non-binary side of your identity and the different gender expressions being valid. Um, but there are some are there some places where that you feel safest, for want of a better term, going boy mode the whole time? Uh, yeah, I don't quite know how also, to describe that yet. Also, like, is there places where it's better to just not discuss those sorts of things? Uh, I mean, I would say that was most places, unless I specifically knew otherwise that it was like I wouldn't. I would say I wouldn't openly discuss that in the UK, but let's be mm. honest, no one recognises the non-binary flag. So I get it. It's amazing <laughs> what I get away with. Um I mean, I've, I've certainly blogged and podded before about sexuality and, and places that, you know, gay travellers should be very wary of going and things like that. Uh, but for non-binary, I don't know, because I've not I've never not travelled internationally in anything other than boy mode. I mean, it, it depends on your definition of dungarees and shirt covered crop tops, in which case I've been to France mm -hmm. and Ireland, but both in the company of very cool women who look better than I do. Uh, I mean, that's partly circumstance because my gender explorations and my non-binary identity have been mostly in the background of global pandemic. So, yeah, that does limit you a little bit. Yes. And also we've got the background of a British government who, you know, lost the plot several years ago and are currently running on air feck at what else can go wrong mode. So we're still not now travelling how we used to do. What I have consciously noticed, though, is um, I know the best way of describing this. So, I mean, I live in Glasgow. Glasgow is quite a, you know, free thinking liberal city. Uh, and I've been doing a lot of walking around it using the railway stations as signposts, the part of the cities I've not explored. There's a lot of railway stations, 10 within a mile of my flat. Sheffield, similar size city, has six in the entire city area. Um, and I, I, am, I do consciously wear slightly different clothing depending on where on the city I'm exploring. I mean, I'm not going to say I wear Armani in Langside and Primarni in Postle Park. What I am saying. <laughs> 
is that I'm more likely to look more obviously male, as in, for example, you know, wearing cargo pants rather than dungaree shorts in certain areas than others. And mm -hmm. while I'm comfortable jogging barefoot in a skirt through the streets of Shorelands, maybe even a crop top, come on to that, I'm much more likely to be found running in closed footwear, T-shirt and longer length running leggings somewhere like Dalmarnock. Uh, mm. Ask me again in two years. Uh, I'll have done more international travel by then, probably. <laughs> there, is, there are some places where, like, um, certain topics are completely not allowed to be discussed. Um, yeah. I don't just mean in terms of, like, um, you know, queer queer stuff and gender expressions and all stuff like that, but also things like there's some cultures where it's very rude to talk about money and there's some places where you're not allowed to mention particular historic events and things like that so how do you navigate stuff like that do you just get around it by not really speaking to people <laughs> I mean yes <laughs> personally yes but also a lot of those things are um some of them are requirements of entering the country in the first place so and so, for example, you can't get into a lot of Middle Eastern countries if you've got an Israeli stamp. And that in itself should prime you to note that when you're in somewhere like Saudi Arabia or Syria, you do not talk about Israel. Mm -hmm. And that's that just that's just, you know, an obvious point. Um, you just don't do it. Um, you can't. When I was looking into this about six years ago, seven years ago, so it may have changed, but you can get, if you're going to do the Caucasus Republics of of Southern Europe, um, Northern, uh, like just North of Iran, so Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, you can visit all three, but you have to visit Azerbaijan first because mm -hmm. you can get into Armenia with an Azerbaijani stamp, but you can't get into Azerbaijan with an Armeni Armenian stamp. Mm. so that would be something that you would want to research quite carefully if you were traveling yeah. around that whole local area then Very much so. but the reasons for that also indicate certain topics that shouldn't be discussed in one or other of those countries because even raising the topic will cause issues um Is mention a particular genocide that may be part of it yes um yeah <laughs> The, I mean, anyway. the, 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 I mean it, that sort of thing happens everywhere. It's, it's, um, there are always subjects that shouldn't be discussed, which usually involve mm. political history. Um, so, you know, you shouldn't go to an average South American republic and start asking questions about what happened in the 1970s, because that's not going to go down well. Um, in general, it's probably a good idea, wherever you're travelling, to steer clear of talk about politics and religion and other controversial topics anyway yes like, oh, exactly, exactly. I, probably, I probably wouldn't start a political day, uh, debate in the US for example it's no indeed best, like, like you know I probably wouldn't bring up religion in most places and stuff like that are there other hot button topics like that that you would specifically avoid I mean the traditional one in British pubs was no religion no politics and no football um to me i i i think that's a good rule of thumb um yes there are going to be other topics uh he, some parts of history are not good things to talk about um nationality even using certain words um 
like the whole debacle of oh what's macedonia's country's name and that got that took 30 years to sort out because certain countries are weird um <laughs> so i i would not have a conversation in greece about macedonia's name north macedonia for the record i would not have that conversation in, in greece with anyone because yeah, it's just easier to sidestep altogether and not discuss it with anyone pretty much I mean, we're allowed to have opinions, but mm. you know, it's it's the same as it's the same as traveling while queer. It's like you can do it, but there are certain places where you wouldn't talk about it and you would keep it under wraps. Yeah. Um, so, which is um, a problem, a problem for someone like me, because a lot of the places that I go to, I go to them precisely because of their dark history. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was so, going to say it might be quite difficult for you when you're like they're researching a thing to know how much you can ask people especially if you're researching something like you had a blog post up about the killing fields don't you like yeah when you were there it must have been difficult to know like how much it's okay to ask about and things like that uh yes very much so but in places like that because you've got the whole museum about it because you've got mm. tour guides there um it's usually enough to just listen. Yeah. So anything that they want to tell you, they will tell you. Anything they don't want to tell you, they won't. And mm. it's not good to push the buttons unless you're there specifically for that reason. They know it. So yeah. me going into a place like that as a tourist would be very different from me going into a place like that as a journalist or as a yeah, as a documentary author. maker or something yeah, exactly. like that yeah exactly and i leave those conversations to them because they're better at it than me they know what the right questions are and they know how to phrase them and you know and really they should be the custodians of their history and so it's about what stories they want to tell yes very much so although obviously history is a dubious mm. subject that mm. has its own biases at times. Mm. Um, that may even have to be a whole future space at some point because it's such a big topic. I know you've blogged about um, dark histories, year zeros, places like things like that that have gone on before. And um, that might be worth a future space, maybe. Yes. yes. But to wrap but, this space up, because yeah. we have, as usual, massively, massively overrun, because <laughs> we're, we're closing in on an hour and a half. Um, if I was I thinking about one of our spaces with forty-five minutes, yes. And uh. <laughs> um, so, um, if I was thinking about going somewhere that's totally new, where I know nothing about anything, what should I research before I go? What do I need to find out? Uh, I mean, that's a really good question, and I think it would depend on where you're going. Um, I don't know, but I think a good thing to look up would be, you know. Um, topics not to discuss um, and just simple, you know, clothing, I think is probably the most important thing of all, of all of them. I think it's clothing because that's going to affect what you take in the first place. Everything else you can worry about when you're there. But, you know, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Yeah. If you're going to go to a place that's heavily religious, then you don't want to, you know, pack your entire backpack with just my mini dresses <laughs> absolutely um so yeah i think i think clothing morals and also 
depends on who you're traveling with because you'll have some countries with you know um not necessarily laws although some of them do but certainly um cultural norms about things like public displays of affection can you walk mm. down the street holding your partner's hand that sort mm. of thing is, is going to be actually for you as well because you travel sometimes with um female coded backpackers and you're obviously clocked as male quite often when you're backpacking um so in some places it's probably unacceptable for you two to share a room because you're not like married and stuff uh, yeah, I mean, it's never come up as an issue, partly because I we have a tendency to stay in backpack hostels. Mm. Um, but yes, uh, uh, there was one. This, the, I mean, this was nothing to do with accommodation. This was just a passing, um, a passing thought. But when I was traveling with Laura, I think Laura said that at one point, someone on a boat we were sharing wondered if I was her dad. <laughs> oh, I bet you felt great about that. <laughs> well, yes. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> thank you ever so much for talking to me with me about this tonight. Um, it's actually made me feel like I might be able to navigate going somewhere and not make a complete tit of myself. <laughs> um, it great. People have made bigger tits of themselves. So. <laughs> But the, the basic principle behind it is, uh, you know, don't get shot, don't get arrested. Yeah, uh, I'm guessing that it's fairly easy to not get shot or arrested if you don't shout at people when they challenge you on things, I guess. Never argue with someone in a uniform and a gun. Um, <laughs> I mean, my, my friend Sarah is actually surprised that I haven't been shot, arrested or deported yet. But I mean, I'm, I'm aware that you've come close. <laughs> I, I, I have... Well, that's a, that's definitely a topic for another. Story. That is, we are going to actually talk about that probably in our border space or something later yeah. down the line. But however, if you wanted to go back and listen to all of our spaces from the past, um, we've talked about everything from packing for your backpacking trip to um, oh gosh, all sorts of things. Oh, no, uh, healthy while traveling, staying safe while traveling. Uh, yes, um, we've talked about pretty much anything that you would need to know now to set up your first backpacking trip. Well, as well. Um, I think we have done a solo one as well. But you can find all, well, not all, but most of our old spaces on barefoot-backpacker.com and they oh, get added a couple of weeks after they're live on Twitter. And so this one will eventually be on there too. Or, well, and... You will find them as episodes of my podcast, Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure, available in all good podcast applications. I was going to say, you can find that on your website as well, your Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure podcast, um, and also yeah. blog, blog posts on everything from the Orkneys to Vanuatu via asexuality, non-binariness, and neurodivergence, which is pretty varied, I would say. <laughs> Uh, well, yes, indeed. Um, do you know what my second most popular blog post is this week? Which one's that? Uh, minimalist sandals. Oh, well, that makes a change from asexuality and kink, I have to say. Well, that's, that's, that's obviously my most popular. Um, oh. <laughs> my, my, my third most popular is introduction to voodoo in West Africa. So, you know, we're... we're I mean, that, we're, is, that is quite interesting, I think. 
Um, if you're wanting to follow, not just on the website, you can follow Beth at Backpacker on Instagram, Pinterest, Patreon, basically everywhere on their link tree, which is in their bio on at RTWBethert on Twitter. And one of us will probably tweet it as a reply to this space's tweet when we finish in a moment. Yes. I can't think if there was anything else that I had to say that you do. It's just those things, isn't it? Oh, yes, because we haven't we haven't really started you off on YouTube yet, but pretty soon um, Barefoot Backpacker is going to be doing YouTube videos as well, which will be brilliant. Um, and so if you sign up to their newsletter, you'll get to hear about those first as well. Brilliant. Um... <laughs> <laughs> I'm very much looking forward to seeing you on video. I think it's going to be great. Um, yes. Yes, we will see. We will see how that goes. This time next year, you'll be a viral TikTok influencer or something. <laughs> OnlyFans. <laughs> well, we have we we've mentioned OnlyFans with your feet quite a lot at the beginning of the space. So you know, if anybody's got interest in it, maybe they should let Barefoot Backpacker know. <laughs> That's I, 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 as I say, it's just all the admin. It's the admin. Yeah, I don't think a virtual assistant wants to run your OnlyFans feet account. I depends how much I pay them. Um, <laughs> and that's a delightful note because we have been on spaces for like an hour and a half now, which is much longer than we used to do. I don't know why they're getting so long now, but yeah, we better wrap it up and we'll be back in about two weeks to talk about all things barefoot life itch. Okay. All right. See you Thank you for listening. Bye bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, don't forget to leave a review on your podcast site of choice. Travel Tales from Beyond the Brochure was written, presented, edited and produced in the Glasgow studio by the Barefoot Backpacker. The theme music is Walking Barefoot on Grass, bonus by Kai Engel, which is available via the Free Music Archive and used under the Creative Commons Attribution 4.0 International Licence. Previous episodes are available on your podcast service of choice and show notes are available on my website, barefoot-backpacker.com. If you want to contact me, tweet me at rtwbarefoot, email me at info at barefoot-backpacker.com or look for me on Instagram, Discord, YouTube or Facebook. Don't forget to sign up for my newsletter and if you really like what I do, you can slip me the cost of a beer through my Patreon in return for access to rare extra content. Until next time, have safe journeys. Bye for now. Bye.